Great. Okay, uh, welcome everybody to our, I guess it's 106, it's the episode number. Vin's not with us today, we kind of knew that, and um, regardless, I thought we'd do kind of something kind of fun today, um, and it likely won't run a full hour, uh, but we're, what I thought we would do is listen to uh, one of uh, my compositions, it's actually a four-part composition uh, for four bagpipers, and we will listen to that. Um, today. Uh, before we get to that, though, um, hopefully everyone knows that we just released the second course in our Bagpipe Fundamentals series, all about bagpipe sound, and we have started to sell a bunch of them, and there's an introductory offer going on right now um, for folks to take advantage of. It's actually 45% off right now uh, while we get things rolling. So I'll give you guys the link for that. Um, and then for anyone listening on the podcast who can't see that link, um, be sure to just go to dojouniversity.com and under the courses tab, you can order it uh, from the course catalog there. Um, super cool course, and we've been getting lots of great feedback from it, so just wanted to make that little public service announcement there. Okay, let's get to the good stuff here. So we've got this uh, composition here, and... Um, why don't we listen to it first, and then we'll talk a little bit about it at that point. Uh, just I want to check. You guys can see when I scroll up and down here, right? You can see it going to the different pages. Okay, I just wanted to make sure you weren't going to get lost. And then I'll try to keep my green arrow. And I'll try to keep my green arrow happening at that point. Now, the other thing is, as you watch, right, there's up to, there's up to four different parts happening at any given time. When there's a staff by itself, that's usually for a solo piper, and then when they come together like this, uh, you can see it's bracketed together, and that would be bagpiper one, two, three, and four. Just go We're gonna talk a little bit about the compositional process, just so I, I want you guys to be able to follow it here. Uh, let's see, what else do we need to mention? I think that's pretty much it. So uh, let's get started and have a listen and see what happens.
Yeah. All right. There we go. So, uh, so yeah, uh, Gary was asking who the composer was. So this is um, a suite that I composed when I was in uh, university. Um, oops, pardon me there. Uh, I was, let's see, fourth year. It was actually, ended up being part of my senior project. So I was a composition major there. Um, and so it was one of my graduating projects. Um, so yeah, it's pretty cool. Now, one of the things that's interesting about this, I'll get my camera going again. One of the things that's interesting about this um, that gives it that unique sound is you'll notice that there's no key signature at all on any of these lines, which actually means that the C and the F are tuned to C and F natural. So it gives us like a really nice uh, A harmonic, sort of natural harmonic scale there. Um, and so um, what would normally be in the major key, right, with the C and the F sharp, right, which would be sort of, um, would make this sound pretty goofy. Uh, but what would normally be in the major key is actually uh, shifted nicely to the minor there. So um, without getting too geeky on everybody, you know, it changes how the chords work. And so we end up very much in a, really rich minor key by changing the key signature. And then the way that we changed the notes on the recording was to um, was to tape the C and the F all the way down. Um, so we don't have to do any fancy fingerings or anything. We actually just taped uh, the tuning of the notes. Okay, so um, Gary said Pibrock-like composition. Well, this really isn't too much like Pibrock. Um, doesn't really have too much in common. Uh, other than that, uh, we do sort of start by establishing a theme, and we try to revisit it a little bit at the end. Uh, there were some more questions. I'm just surfing through those. Will says it has a bit of a Middle Eastern sound. That may or may not be, you know, that may or may not be true. Other than that, perhaps there's some Middle Eastern music that uses this natural minor scale. And then Sam was wondering how you do a glissando on a pipe. Well, um, the one that we did here is just going down from F to E. And the way you do it is to just sort of, uh, just sort of um, gradually slide your finger over the E hole. It takes a little bit of practice. Um, but, uh, and then you do it in a controlled way. Um, and you can get a little bit of a um, glissando sound. And then there was also the tambourine trills as well. Um, let's skip ahead to where that was. I feel like we had a tambourine trill here or something. Oh, yeah, there's our glissando there in the music. And I just wrote it in just like you might write it in for other forms of music. And then the tambourine trill, bear with me, folks. was actually played right here, uh, but it's not actually in the score. So um, I was doing that. And I think in later scores, I may have written that in. Yeah, slow fingering rather than the normal slam. That's pretty much it. And you, you could do whatever you want to get that sound, right? Um, and what's interesting, I was big when, when I was in school, I was big on experimenting with, you know, how to apply 
compositional techniques that you might find in the greater world of music um, into bagpipe music. And so I definitely experimented with um, a lot of that kind of stuff as well. So uh, I thought I would talk you through this. So um, I thought I would talk you through there's, um, about, there's three different sections of the composition. And the first one, now it's interesting Gary should mention Pibrock because it's not really inspired by Pibrock so much, but um, the first section of this was inspired by Gaelic song, uh, for sure. Now obviously it, <laughs> it departs quite a bit from Gaelic song here. But um, I was in Sky one year, and I am embarrassed that I have temporarily forgotten the name of the singer um, who uh, sort of, you might say, in residence at the Gaelic College up in Sky. Amazing, amazing musician and um, uh, was able to sort of sing for us and to show us different things. And one of the interesting things about Gaelic song would be, you know, the singing of a verse or a piece of a melody, right? And then a group joining in. Um, and then, so so that's what this was inspired by. So solo piper, group, and then solo, a different solo piper and the group again. But then each time we introduce a different solo line, it gets layered over the original. So that was, that was the main idea behind this. Um, and so what I did was, layer that in. So you can see here's the original melody. Everybody plays it. Now you have a sort of counter melody that fits nicely over top. So you can see the original melody here and then um, the different melodies start to get layered in. This one starts to get layered in here. This one starts to get layered in here. And finally we have this last one layered in here. So um, why don't we, if you guys don't mind, let's um, listen to the beginning of this again, and you could hear just how things sort of got layered in. I thought I was hearing four different themes, each played separately, yet played by the quartet. Um, maybe, now let's listen, to, uh, let's listen to this first section here. And then the section sort of concludes with a little bit of a key, it's a sort of a key change, a chord, uh, chord progression change here. Um, which goes into the D minor chord. It goes D minor to, um, so, uh, let's see, it would be C major and then D major, uh, I think. I think that makes sense. So uh, let's listen to this first part here again, and then we will, uh, then we'll pause it and talk about the next part. So here we go again from the top. So listen for the uh, layering of the different voices. Now it's going to be layered in here. 
section here is where we shift keys and it's just sort of a standalone item shifts keys a little bit and then um, what I really like about this is how each line has a different rhythm and and they intertwine in really interesting ways and especially when you listen with headphones you can hear all sorts of cool things coming from different sides so anyway let's play through this and hopefully you enjoy listening to it as much as I do here Everybody following me so far? Yeah, it's pretty neat. I just thought I would give you a little tour through through a little bit of the process. And then, uh, you know, just kind of have a little bit of fun and listen a little bit. So the next section is... Um, uh, next section is sort of a... Um, hmm, what words would I use to describe it? Um, it's sort of an intertwining of different rhythms and all the rhythms move separately um, and they sort of build on each other and then they each have their own melodic line that they play and then what we're going to do is we're actually going to um, slow this whole thing down over time so check out bagpiper one here he plays this simple melody here and he's going to play it over and over and over again. Looks like he's going to play it about four times. Okay, now after he plays that four times, he then shifts down here to the exact same melody, but it's half speed. See how the low A is two beats here, four beats here. See that? See how it starts to slow down to half speed? And then he's going to play that half-speed melody twice through, I think, anyway. Yeah, he's going to play that half-speed melody twice through, and then we're going to move on, right? So it's a little bit of a pattern, and we see how, we see how the pattern applies to the different lines, right? So then take Bagpiper 2, for example. He comes in on top of 
uh, this first melody the second time it gets played. And he plays it one, two, three, four, looks like five times there. And then he's going to play that once, half speed before we move on. Okay? And it sort of continues like that throughout. So line three comes in here and repeats the same line. One, uh, two, three times, four times, five times, and then plays a little bit of it at half speed, right? Can you sort of see how the pattern works? And then we get all sorts of interesting chords and discordant notes uh, and areas of tension and release. We get all sorts of that sort of not exactly by accident, but by following the process and the pattern. So this part wasn't really composed to try to get chords to line up perfectly. It was more composed as um, a simple process-based pattern that lets us sort of hear what the result of that process might be. Right? So it's a little bit of a different world and a little bit less conventional than usual. Let's have a listen to this section and see if, um, if you can hear what I mean. Here comes layer two. The rhythm sort of intertwine, don't they? And layer three. So now the original melody starts to slow down to half speed here. This last line, they're all slowed down to half speed, right? And it, it's pretty tense, isn't it? And that's where I think the, the next section, where we return to our um, uh, D minor area here, I think it's a nice release. So, um, so anyway.
Okay, good. So then the, this this brings us to the final section of the piece, which um, is basically just uh, inspired by the um, ostinato that a lot of film composers use in movies. So we have this repeating, very basic uh, melodic rhythm that happens throughout the entire third line. And then we're basically playing some simple chords. We go from A minor. Um, and then once we do that for a little while, we do, let's see, looks like we have F, yeah, we have F major, and then at some point, yeah, and then here's your G major here. We've got G, Bs, and Ds for G major, and then back to A minor. So we sort of climb up to A minor repeatedly in this section, um, and it's just kind of cool, right? It's just sort of like a nice flowing um, end to the piece. And then, yeah, we do actually weave in the original melody at the end. We'll see if you can catch that. Um, but it's just sort of a nice um, uh, sort of flowing end to the piece there. So, so let's listen to it and uh, enjoy the ending again. Yeah, this particular recording, it was just uh, me that uh, I, I multi-tracked myself um, when I did this particular recording. Uh, but we actually performed this on a couple of different occasions. Uh, myself, Alan Bevan, um, his wife, Bonnie, and then um, Danny Miller, some SFU pipers from uh, when I was in the band.
dark and foreboding. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, I, I'm in, I'm into it. Gotta love the dark and foreboding. Somebody was mentioning, yeah, I did the Hourglass Suite, which the whole band actually performed, which was really rewarding as well. Uh, that was actually, um, I was actually, I wrote that well before this. It's actually one of my first like major, um, you know, first major suites, you know. And uh, I actually prefer this one to that, but uh, compositionally, but Hourglass is pretty cool. I'm excited. Great, yeah. So do you guys have any questions um, before we uh, wrap it up for today? Have I ever considered bringing an organ into the mix? Well, not for this tune. I haven't considered it, but I've played with organs in the past. A big thing with uh, with this tune, it doesn't really uh, it doesn't really need any accompaniment. In my in my opinion, it'd be worth remixing and experimenting with. Jack says, "How did you manage the dissonant parts of the piece to create tension while you were writing it?" Well, a lot of it is just um, a lot of it is just compositional, you know, <laughs> compositional man hours, right? Uh, to find the parts that work and the, and the parts that don't work. Uh, but one of my key techniques that I um, use whenever I am seriously composing is I actually improvise a lot of stuff into a multi-tracking software. Um, and I, I improvise different chunks, and then I take those chunks and I arrange them in different ways. Um, that's, that's part of my compositional technique. So I'll actually take um, I'll take a multi-track session in a, in software, and I'll um, I'll say okay I need something that goes from F major to G major to A major that's my plan, right? And I sort of sketch it out either using a basic keyboard or a guitar or something. And I'm like okay I like I want it to flow kind of like that chordally speaking, and then I'll go and I'll improvise some different options and I'll record them all. And then I'll sort of drag them in different shapes and orders um, until I get what I like. Steve, uh, Alberto, I'll get to that in just a second. Steve says, I am not the greatest music theory understanding, but what should I look for in a tune if I'm looking for a darker sounding tune to play? Well, um, basically the... There's two common minor keys that you'll hear in bagpiping. There's actually three. Uh, one of them would be, the most common is B minor, so tunes that start and end on B. Then there's E minor that um, start and end on an E minor chord, which ha could have Bs, Es, or Gs in it. And then uh, there's also a lot of A minor tunes, which you can identify by um, finding tunes that use a lot of A's and E's, but no C sharps, right? C sharp is the note that makes it happy in major key. Um,
Yeah. C well C um C sharp sounds great in a B minor in a B minor tune because it's part of the scale. But as far as the A tunes, see going home is a major key tune, right, Gary? Because it's got C sharp in it. Big time. All over the place. So um, Andrew said, I would like to get better with pipe tune chord progressions. Listening to this tune makes listening for the chord slightly easier. Yeah, it could be hard to identify bagpipe chord progressions because, generally speaking, there's just one musical line. When you start to layer things in, it'll be a lot easier to hear because you can actually hear notes being played simultaneously. Um, flee the Glen. Uh, yeah, I can't remember how that goes off the top of my head. Yep, that's exactly right. Flee the Glen is in B minor. Yeah, so that's in B minor. That has a nice minor sound to it. Did I teach at Delco in 2013? I did not. <coughs> I did not teach at Delco in Few more people are typing here. I use Finale, Jack. I, I use a tune called or a program called Finale. And um, it there's a bit of a learning curve with that, which I was able to learn just by, um, you know, I, I was in school, I did a lot of it, and so on and so forth, so. Is underneath on any CDs? It is not. It might be someday. And then, that's right, Robert, you can do multiple voices with um, ABC Music Writer and also with, what's it called, uh, Celtic Pipes? Um, and that's what I would recommend if you just want to dabble in it. And then Finale takes every, you know, Finale gives you the ability to score out anything that you want, quite literally. All right, guys. Well, what? Why don't we? Um, you mentioned the Hourglass. Why don't we wrap up by playing the Hourglass Suite from um, SFU's On Home Ground album? I think it was on Volume Two. I can't quite remember. Or maybe it was Volume One. I don't remember. For me, it was one big volume. Um, Steve, I don't know. Um, I don't know of any software that will allow you to convert a tune to just rhythm. Oh yeah, Alberto, mouth exercise as well. Unfortunately, you just have to practice and gain strength. 
But one of the things with the mouth is that um, one of the things with the mouth too is it's easy to lose the grip if you let it get too um, damp or moist on the mouthpiece. So um, when I when I blow, I try to keep the mouthpiece as dry as possible and not let my spit get on it too much because that um, helps you lose uh, you know makes you lose the grip and then. Um, then it's difficult to grip the blow stick and then, you know, it's going to be really hard to hang on, which uh, makes it really tough. So um, as far as an exercise is concerned, you just have to play as much as you can. And when your lips get tired, you know, take a five or ten minute break and then go play some more until you can't play anymore. And then over time, um, over time, you'll get better and better. Um, you also need to make sure your bagpipe is set up properly so you're not, you know, wasting energy on a bagpipe that's not efficient. You know, that could be a big thing. It's maybe you're working harder than you have to. Yeah, if you're doing anything wrong, it would just be maybe the bagpipe's not set up right. Which is a great segue again to mention our new instrument fundamentals course. Uh, where we cover everything having to do with bagpipes from basic setup all the way through to, you know, getting perfect tuning. Okay, guys, um, with that said, let's, um, underneath is not on any CD at the moment. Okay, uh, with all that said, let's um, listen to the hourglass, just kind of fun. Um, let's listen to the hourglass and see what's going on. Although I have a bad feeling this isn't actually the right hourglass. Hang on, let me find it. Let me just uh, make sure I found the right one here. Okay. I'm glad I did because I think I grabbed the wrong one. So it's taking a little while to upload. Um, it's probably a pretty big file here. It's like eight minutes long or something. It's crazy. All right, guys, there it is, all uploaded. So uh, we will see you next week on um, Dojo Universe. Enjoy the Hourglass Suite here, uh, and we'll catch you guys later on.